Can the state of West Virginia live within its budget, and what if it doesn't? We'll talk about the West Virginia state budget right now on The Law Works. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Closed captioning for The Law Works is made possible by a grant from the Monongalia County Bar Association to support legal information and education for all West Virginians. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. The creation of a budget for the state of West Virginia is not an easy task, but it is a thankless one. My guest is the chairperson of the West Virginia State Finance Committee, State Senator Roman Prezioso. Senator, thank you for coming in with us. It's certainly my pleasure to be here today, Dan. I thank you for inviting me. You are the chair of the Senate Finance Committee. I would bet that you get your fingers into the budget with some frequency. It, not a day goes by that we're not looking at some number or some agency or some general revenue source that uh, you know we need to keep track of to determine the overall picture of a budget, although we're not going into session now until January of 2015. When does the budgetary process start? It, it never ends. It's an ongoing process. We have a full-time Senate staff as well as the House has a staff. We're uh, tracking federal revenues, state revenues, special revenues, uh, the lottery revenues. Uh, we do that almost on a daily basis. At the end of each month, we compile those figures, and that's where we get a baseline over a 12-month period. I thought being a member of the Senate was a part-time job. It's fortunate that I'm retired because this, this has uh, certainly been a uh, challenging process. Uh, you know, there were good times in West Virginia when the coal industry was doing well and we had an abundance of uh, revenues. Uh, we've seen a, a small decline now in, in, in the coal industry and we're met with some serious challenges right now, which means that we have to spend more attention to the details in order to balance these budgets out and look at the whole scope, not just within a fiscal year or the next year. You know, we're looking uh, two years behind us and five years in front of us to determine what type of situation we could be in and try to plan accordingly. You have a crystal ball? We wish we did. We wish we had a crystal ball. We have uh, a lot of people in government that are very good at uh, looking at the data. They disaggregate it, break it down for us, and uh, they give us an abundance of information that we in turn have to compile and put together a budget. But it, it's an ongoing process with the agencies. Obviously, every agency in the state has to run efficiently. 
So they have to determine, you know, what their budgets are going to be and things that change within fiscal years. So the process is very complex and, and you have to have a lot of good people that understand it, have a good history of it. I think that's what's important to be able to see where you came from in order to know where you're going. Most organizations that I've been associated with, when someone comes to be in charge of the budget, it's a result of a very long program, not designated as a training program, but effectively that's what it is. It takes years. You're expected to perform immediately. You can't afford to have any downtime. Generally, you'll see the chairs of the finance committee who have been there a certain period of time, who probably have chaired other committees that have given them some background information. I've been very fortunate in my political career to chair the Education Committee, which has the largest general revenue budget in, in uh, state government. And then when I went over to the Senate in 96... You served in the House of Delegates first. I served in the House of Delegates for uh, eight years and chaired the Education Committee when Governor Caperton decided to do systemic reform to make a seamless education process between higher education and public education. So that was a very uh, good time to be the chair of that particular committee. In 96, I moved over to the Senate and chaired the Health Committee, and that was just before the Federal Affordable Care Act came into play. And actually, we had our own Affordable Care Act when I chaired the uh, Health Committee in, 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 the, in the Senate. So that's the second largest general revenue and the largest budget in the entire state budget when you look at all the federal dollars that are matched through the federal government. So I had a pretty good understanding of those two committees in dealing with budgets. So it made it a lot easier for me to step into a position where I could move forward accordingly. Uh, probably the problem, the biggest problem I had is when I chaired education, I always fought for the money for education. And then when I was health care chair, I always fought for money for health care. Now it's not only education health care, it's roads, it's all state government that we have to deal with. So I've got to be uh, more neutral on my positions to look accordingly and make decisions predicated on good, good facts. How do you decide what the priorities are? You know, you have, so, and priorities change from year to year, uh, depending on, uh, you know, the health care situation now. Uh, we're finding at one time, you know, we, we had a good health care program in the state of West Virginia. Uh, we had programs that took care of indigents that didn't cost, you know, a lot of money as it does now. And so probably then the priority was education. But we're seeing sort of a shift now from education to health care, where the cost of health care is driving the budgets that we see in state government. And so now that priority becomes a little more important. Not that education isn't. It, it's extremely important, but there are decisions that have to be made accordingly between uh, entities like that that are predicated on the environment that you live in at that particular time. And, and of course, you know the road situation that we have now. That's become an extremely high priority. Uh, we have to work very closely with the governor to determine how we're going to pay for roads in the future. The way we're doing it now isn't necessarily encumbering those dollars that we did get from the federal government. So those priorities are changing. Well, we hear talk about more toll roads and things like that as a possibility in the future. Private-public partnerships. We have to think outside the box. We have to do something to encumber dollars. We've all, the state has taking, taken uh, a general attitude that we didn't want to put general revenue dollars 
into roads. They were fees and taxes and you know, the gasoline tax and things of, of that sort. And now we have to look at that a little differently as the cost of building roads you know, increase and the federal revenues for roads and transportation are basically uh, stagnant at this particular time. We don't see any additional dollars coming from the federal government. We're talking about the creation of the West Virginia State Budget. My guest is the chairperson of the West Virginia State Senate Finance Committee, State Senator Roman Prezioso. Do you have any friends? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the old finance chair told me one time, you know, all my friends, they're now your friends. <laughs> so you do have, you do, you do have, I guess, a lot of superficial friends. And I, I do have friends that help me in the budget process and things like that. Uh, I learned one thing that you say no a lot of times. Uh, probably 99% of the times when people come to you with a great idea, you, the first reaction is no, we can't do that until we can prove, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is going to be a priority and this is going to be a direction that we go. So it is heart rendering sometimes because every person that comes in my office has a compelling story. And, and, and I go home at night and I said, you know, we have to do something to help that individual. Then the next day they're lined up every 15 minutes with the same thing day in and day out. And especially at times when we're, we're in a situation where we're not encumbering the general revenue dollars that we've seen in the past. One of the most difficult things to do, and I know that uh, we've had to uh, take that path the last couple years, would be to cut budgets. That is so difficult. Uh, we put a lot of uh, stress on our agency heads to run more efficiently with less money. You do that, th that particular thing in your operation here at, uh, at the radio, st at the TV station, and, and I know that it's got to be tough. Across the board cuts are something that I really don't like to see. I would prefer agency heads go in and cut particular programs that aren't doing as well and make adjustments accordingly, but that's very difficult to do. The old joke that I'm familiar with at least is you get a budget cut and they say we expect you to do more with less the next year you get a budget cut and say we expect you to do more with less and in the extreme pretty soon you don't have anything and you're expected to do everything you're and exactly right you've got to reach a happy medium in there somehow we see that time and time again and that's why we put a lot of emphasis on those directors and secretaries and people that make those budget decisions give us the best information that you can to run more efficiently and if a program's not working, you know, let's think about eliminating that program. We've got plenty of ideas out there to move forward. But I know it's difficult to, to, to close programs, and obviously there are jobs involved when, when that happens, and we don't like to see anybody lose their jobs, especially in state government. But a lot of times we need to make those decisions to move forward and, and, and to be a better state. I know here we have any number of people every year who will come along and say, I have an idea for a program. Here it is. And you listen to it. Now, I'm a volunteer. I, I still hear these things. But I, the staff hears it, uh, certainly. And they come in and say, I've got this idea for a program. And the first question they have to be asked is, where's the money going to come from? Exactly. And if you, if you can't identify a funding source, if you can't find underwriters, you don't get to do it. And in your business, you say, I've got a dollar. I can spend a dollar on state programs. Which part of this dollar do you want me to fund for you or use for you, exactly. and who am I going to take it from? In a lot of the things that we get into, uh, we like to see some buy-in 
by the entities out there that are asking for money, cities, counties, and things of that sort. Uh, we'd like to see some matching money. Yeah, that's important to us. If you're willing to put forth some money, then you're going to be a better steward of that money. Subsequently, you know, we'd probably be more willing to, to, to put some state monies into it. And uh, we like to see the buy-in part of it. Uh, and, and there's more of that going on as, as we move through state government. We're seeing that the, the entities out there that need to come up with monies, the, the, the charitable organizations and things of that sort have a lot of in-kind matches and things like that. And, and working together, we've, we've got to work together better with all the municipalities, with all the entities to, to move forward. And a lot of times I've seen that, especially in healthcare, where you have agencies, especially a lot of the social programs that I dealt with. Uh, you know, there would be two or three agencies out there doing the same thing. Well, who could do it best? And what could the other agencies do to do better? So we need this, we need this co collaboration and cooperation to, to make our money go further. Boy, that has to be hard, especially when you're dealing with social welfare agencies. It is extremely hard. I know in the last session, last regular session, there was a lot of cuts made to social welfare programs. How, how, do, you, how do you approach them? How do you prioritize those kinds of programs? You know, there's only X amount of dollars. And, and the thing about this, the, the state budget, when you look at the $4.2 billion in the state budget for the next fiscal year of 2015, 65% of that budget is in code. That means that you actually couldn't do a budget cut within those agencies. And when you say in code, you mean there are laws there are that law the legislature has ad adopted that says you will fund this, you exactly. will spend for Supreme that. Or Supreme Court decisions that come down that says, look, you will do this. Obviously. The education budget is protected by the Constitution. The REC decision several years ago is driven strictly on the financial part of it. So we have to not only adhere to the Constitution, but a state Supreme Court directive to fund education. You're not going to touch public education. The REC decision was Judge Arthur REC out of Ohio County. Correct. I think he was sitting in another county right. at the time. I think it was around 1985 or so. And, and he defined what had to be done basically for an adequate education, exactly. which is a moving target. It's hard exactly. to say. That's that a, means that's that it. You know, the amount of resources, the amount of teacher pay, all has to be equal. If you're in Mingo County as a student or in Monongahela County as a student, that's the resource money that goes to those students have to be the same. It has to be driven equally. and, and we can't change that and, and there's not enough money right now for public education so we suffer in that aspect so when you look at 65 percent of our budget that is in code or designated by a Supreme Court decision we have 35 percent that's left that we can make cuts we, you know, we can't make cuts to Medicaid but we can determine how much money we're going to put into it so those are the things that you have to deal with and then when you deal with the social agencies, you know, you're paying those monies usually directly from state revenues. When you look at Medicaid and, and the health care programs that are driven through Medicaid, you're looking at a three-to-one match by, the, by federal. the federal government. So for every dollar that we can come up with, which is an arbitrary amount that we have to determine how much we can afford predicated on our general revenue enhance, enhancements that we get, 
then we move along in Medicaid. Generally, the other social programs are outside the scope of Medicaid and are not mandated programs. So there's generally no match for those programs in a lot of cases. So you have to pay for them? Pay for the entire amount or fundraise. And generally it's tough to do, as you well know. We're talking about the creation of the West Virginia State Budget. My guest is the chairperson of the West Virginia State Finance Committee, Senator uh, Roman Prezioso. I'm Dan Ringer, and this is The Law Works. Yeah, the joke is we're going to go to the moon. We're going to have a bake sale to pay for it. Exactly. And then when you get there, you're going to have a bake sale up there <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to back. get back. Well, in, in this particular case, you had, to, you had to cut some social programs. Yeah, then you came back in a special session to look at the budget again, and you were able to offset or eliminate some of those cuts. I don't think you were able to restore Not all, of, all them. of them. It was a unique situation that it had incurred. As we went through the budget process in the last session, when we were in session from January to March in 2014, we were backfilling the 2013 budget with $90 million shortfall. So and you have to fill up the old budget exactly. before you Exactly. If we don't make revenues in a previous budget, we have to go in and supplement that budget with, with dollars. So as we moved forward, we got into the situation where we didn't have enough revenues to even cover the 2013 budget. We're in the 2014 budget, which we predict will be $125 million short, and we're trying to put together the 2015 budget. At the same time, we're dealing not only with paying our bills as a state, but we're looking at encumbering dollars to build infrastructure. We have to go to the bond market to, to encumber dollars so we can build schools and roads and, well, not so much roads, but we hope to one day do that, and buildings and things of that sort. So we have to rely on the bond market, generally out of New York, that tells us what kind of bond rating we have. The higher the bond rating you have, the more money you can get for your dollars. Now, we have to have a debt service program that's built into the budget, and that generally comes through the excess lottery. So when we're out there building schools and things of that sort, we're taking excess lottery dollars and paying our debt service. Well, the gaming industry drives a lot of what happens in the lottery. So we're seeing a decline in the gaming industry right now. So when we go to New York City, the governor and the, and the president and the speaker went to New York to, to look at the bond rating, talk with the bond rating agencies. They weren't so much concerned about taking money out of our savings accounts to pay our rainy day fund, our traffic account, and our uh, income tax reserve fund. They were more concerned about the debt service that was coming out of the lottery. Yeah, and that's how you pay your debts. That's how we're paying our debts. When you talk about the bond market, for the state of West Virginia, that's like my credit card. Exactly. I have to, I can borrow the money on a credit card, but I have to know how to pay it back. And I hope you get a good interest. Because the less interest you pay, the less money you have to pay back. And that's what we want to put the state in a position to do. We don't want to pay a lot of interest on the money that we loan. So how do you do that? You get good bond ratings. You get that AA-plus bond rating, and you pay less dollars. So if we start to lose that bond rating, you know, our needs are going to be more than ever. Our roads and, and our infrastructure is at a point now where we're going to have to go out and build you know, a lot of infrastructure. Well, and that's true nationwide. Sewage, you know, sewage, water plants, things of that sort. Yeah, it is nationwide. But 
we want to go out there and get the best bang for our buck, and we want to pay as least amount of interest that we can. We've got to have that high bond rating. Well, the bond rating agencies said, look, we're going to give you a warning. You know, be careful about how much more you're going to debt the state. So at that particular time, we got together and said, hey, here's another little anomaly that comes into play in building a budget. How are we going to encumber those dollars so that we're going to be able to maximize state dollars to, to move forward? And we haven't even touched on the gotchas that happen every year. Right. This past winter, for example, was one of the most difficult winters in memory in West Virginia, and you, you hadn't enough money on hand to pay for that. Yeah. And the point, you know, where I try to make in leading us down the path of the bond agencies, how we found dollars to pay for those social programs. It wasn't through the rainy day fund, because we certainly have to be cautious there. We can't let that thing drop down below 12%, or that's, that, that would be a detriment. But we looked at some different options in the lottery, and that's how we found that money in this special session. Well, and that's not exactly a done deal yet. There's some question about that. Well, uh, we're pretty confident we can move forward on this, and, and you know, if we have time to tell the story about the, the lottery fund that the legislature finally took back under its responsibility to uh, you know, tax and spend money and not let an agency by statute distribute money, then we found you know, we're going to do better oversight of the lottery, and that's actually how we found those dollars. Well, what, what does happen? You, we had a hard winter. In years past, we had uh, Superstorm super storm Sandy that did a lot of damage in the state. We had a derecho come through that was really a cataclysm over a large part of the state. How, how do you handle those things? Where does that money come from? Hopefully we get some federal assistance. If not, we have to go into the rainy day funds that we, we've devised over the years. I think in 1995 we set up a, a traffic account that put together dollars throughout the years that we used as a savings account. There was $75 million in there. What, what's a traffic account? It's, it's, an it's just a, an acronym for, I don't even know all the tax and stuff that okay. if there's a federal state deficit we can use, we call it the traffic account. And, uh, so it doesn't have anything to do with cars and trucks? No, it doesn't, <laughs> no, no. You know, generally, if in a case like the derecho and uh, floods and things like that, we'll get into the traffic account and pay for those and when we can encumber federal dollars. So we do have savings accounts. Now, the problem that we had this year, we, we spent $45 million out of the income tax reserve fund to pay for the deficit in the 2013 budget. We took $50 million out of $75 million out of the traffic account to budget the 2014 budget. And we took $125 million out of the rainy day fund to pay into the 2015 budget. So we're dipping into our savings accounts and those accounts are getting low. You said you didn't have a crystal ball. Do you have a top hat with a rabbit in it? <laughs> I could... wish we did. We were very fortunate, that, and, and believe me, pre previous governors and legislators uh, since 1989 have been very diligent and very responsible in making sure that we had those savings accounts. Just think if we didn't have that money now. Those social agencies wouldn't even be a topic of, of, of uh, going in and backfilling right now. They would be gone. We had the money to pay because we had the savings accounts. We're hoping this economy turns around 
and we can move again forward to build those things back up to have another large rainy day account. But even then, you're taking money from one place to another place, and somebody's going to come up shorter than they were before. Exactly, and, and the problems you get into, Dan, if you take one-time money and try to build base programs, you're in automatic deficit the next year because those one-time monies will be spent. You're never going to get them again. They're gone. That savings count is going to be eliminated, and you've got ongoing expenses and base budgets. You have to be very cautious about it. You can't just spend for today and hope for tomorrow. Senator Raymond, Roman Prezioso, <laughs> thank you, Roman, for being with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you also for being with us on behalf of the Law Works. I'm Dan Ringer. Good evening. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future The Law Works show, or if you're a school teacher and would like to receive a DVD of this show for classroom use, send us an email to thelawworks at comcast.net or visit us on Facebook. On the Law Works website at thelawworks.org, you'll find a listing of recent The Law Works programs, additional information about this show's topic, and video of this and recent shows. You can also find The Law Works programs on YouTube and iTunes. The Law Works is produced in cooperation with the Office of the West Virginia Attorney General, the West Virginia Bar Foundation, the Mountain State Bar, the Monongahela County Bar Association, and the West Virginia University College of Law. The Law Works is made possible by major grants from the West Virginia Attorney General and from Software Systems Incorporated, a West Virginia company established in 1975 which provides high-end support services, programming, and consulting for county government AS400 mid-range computer systems as well as PC-based systems, and by a grant from the West Virginia Bar Foundation. The West Virginia Bar Foundation, the philanthropic organization for West Virginia's legal profession and justice system, promoting public knowledge of the law in West Virginia. Additional support for the Law Works is provided by the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting, 